in times uh, past, I have basically focused on the things that we do not see in this passage. And, um, and basically, there's two aspects. The fact that it is not only the Samaritan who is faithful, right? Even though the passage brings us there to see this one, the outsider, as the one that is faithful, we still see that the other nine did what they had to do. Correct? You remember that. That the other nine were faithful to their understanding of what needed to be done. And not only that, but we also understand that all ten were healed. Right? Yes. All ten were healed. And they were blessed by that. And we also know that we might um, tend to react negative to those nine. Because of the questions that Jesus asked. Time out, wait a minute, only one here? Where's the other nine? You know, what, what happened with them? Didn't they come to praise God about what just happened? And we have actually talked about this. And, and, and we have addressed the fact that at the point of healing, there was nothing in common with this one and the, ten, and, and the nine anymore. This one, the Samaritan, could not go and present himself to Jerusalem or to the temple or to the synagogue because he was not part of the community. He is the one that's left out. And the other nine go to do what they're supposed to do. They were obeying Jesus' command. But those questions that Jesus asked in a way, could be taken sarcastically. It could be seen in different ways, right? But we, sometimes we hear these questions and imply our own thing into it. So today we're going to address the premise of the whole scenario. And the premise that leads to our conclusions. Keeping in mind the questions that we posed before, right? Okay, that the ten individuals are seeking wholeness. All ten of them are seeking to be restored. And this is the setting of the miracle, right? That these individuals had been outside of the community and they're pleading to become so it does relate to wholeness in many ways. The first, when we read in the Levitical account, and this is, uh, I know, Scott's favorite book. <laughs> I'm sorry. We read in chapter 13 that leprosy is intimately related to the dynamic of community. Because when you are found to be with this ailment, you have to take action, right? This is the public health situation of the community being addressed with a religious or spiritual understanding. 
In the corporate sense, being considered clean or unclean had implications of your status and community. So this is everything about the communal existence. Today, if somebody is sick, they should not go to work. But we must because we have to anyway, right? Uh, <laughs> we end up there. But then, you know, we're spreading our germs all over the place. And then others end up with a cold. <laughs> right? And here I am today. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> but um, it, it, the understanding, again, from Leviticus is that there is also something about this ailment that sort of affects the religious existence of the community. And remember that the prescribed solution for that ailment is a religious one. They are told if you have a scar in your, in your skin, you must report yourself to the priest. And the priest is to examine you. And it gives a whole litany of what to look for. It's interesting. Because this is where medicine and religion sort of connect. You're to be reported to the priest. The priest will examine you and see what is the action to take. If it's, you know, it talks about a white hair and, and, and your boil or whatever is happening in your skin. And if that is not white, then you are to be separate for seven days. But if it is white, then you must be separated from the community. Now think about what happens then. If you are separated from the community, what happens? You cannot work. Right? Because you cannot exist in the realm of normalcy in the community. So if you cannot work, then you cannot provide for your family. Do you see the difficulty with this situation of leprosy? It is not only a health issue, it is a societal issue. Your whole family suffers if you are found to be ill. And it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, <laughs> right? The man is the one that is working to supply, but the woman does work at home too, right? And they are essential to the family life. So this prescribed solution is a ritual that is supposed or proposed to restore or to make that individual whole again. If you're found to be in this condition, you must be separated. But if this goes away, right, and you are found clean, then you can be restored, made whole again. Your family then has the ability to enjoy not only your presence, but what you bring to the table in the family condition. 
So the implication of this, uh, all this is that it's more, there's, there's a lot of stake here. We just look at the scripture and see the scenario, we don't really think of the implications. There's a lot of stake, and not only that, when you're found to be ill or have a condition on your skin, it affects everything in your life. And the religious life of the community becomes intimately connected to the wholeness of the individual. So there's implications of that. God provides for a way for that wholeness to happen. He addresses the matter of the community and the individual. Right? And this is happens in, in, in a religious way. And when I'm talking about religion, I am not necessarily talking about being religious. But that's spiritual existence, right? In which we live. Now for Israel, there was an intimate relationship with their community and God. Being in community was being part of what God was doing. But being outside of community meant disconnection. And we already talked about all the implications of that. So God facilitates with ritual prescriptions, right? You are to do this. You're going to observe this person. If they are clean, you're supposed to then take a shower, <laughs> wash yourself, right? Uh, and then there is a prescription and a ritual. You're supposed to take a bird, take another bird, kill the one bird, and the blood is supposed to be spread with a little red rag and sprayed upon the person and then that person needs to wash themselves wait for another week, check again and you'll be, become part of the community once this is all done now, what happens today? our modern and postmodern view of the world affects how we see this. It's like, well, this is some kind of hocus-pocus stuff, right? It is not necessarily a way of seeing religion intricately, intricately connected with wellness. As a matter of fact, we usually, in society and culture in general, we reject that idea. And that is because we have become so used to this individualistic view of community. We have come to this understanding that we have a mind, and if we have a mind, we can think, and if we can think, we don't need our neighbor. If we don't need our neighbor, what is his welfare have to do with mine? What does her well-being have to do with who I am and how I'm to exist in this community? Well, let her figure it out. 
You see the difficulty that we see in life now. I mean, I don't know if I'm talking just by my own ideas here. But very, very truly, we experience that dynamic in our community. I'll give you a very brief example. In Puerto Rico, there was this hurricane. The hurricane devastated the island. No power, no food, no medicine, no nothing. What are you left with? You see, all the things that we rely upon for our existence are taken away. What do you do? Right? You cry out. Right? You cry out. Who do you cry out to? The government. <laughs> right? But this is what the community had to do. In some areas, the individuals in the community said, hey, come over here, let's gather together. I got a hundred bucks, and I have a cousin that can send me solar panels. What do you have? Oh, I can find some money. Okay, what do you have? Oh, maybe I can find some batteries. Okay, what do you have? In two weeks, that community had power. When the government couldn't really figure anything out. So this is the blessing in disguise in this whole dynamic. Community was pulled together. It was no longer individuals. And this is a dynamic that really, you're not going to hear this on the TV, on the news. It was a blessing in disguise. Because people remember when all the neighbors in the neighborhood knew everybody by name. But it had become a situation where I don't need my neighbor anymore because I have power and air conditioning at home. You know, what is this thing about going and asking for sugar? I got five pounds of sugar. Right? You see, abundance creates this sense of isolation. And when we need, there's only one place to go to. And it's the community. So it's a blessing in disguise. Now think of these folks and think about this religious understanding and, and not in the sense of tradition but the exercise of what feeds the spirit, right? If you hear the lepers, the lepers cry out. And their cry is one of mercy. They say, Lord, what? Have mercy. mercy on us. Note that. That is really important. They don't say, Lord, heal us. They don't cry out to the government to provide power. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. The situation that they are facing is dire. And that cry for mercy is a cry for connection. 
It's not a cry only for, oh, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. This is a cry to become part of the whole. This is a cry for them to be part of a community so that they can fulfill their role in their existence. They can become part of a healthy relationship with their neighbors instead of existing in isolation, disconnected from everybody else. So it is a cry for wholeness. And that is the basic yearning of humanity. Now, there are many people that are in a similar situation today. They're in a similar place. And they don't have to be leprous to be so. They feel isolated, either intentionally or unintentionally, find themselves there. And I don't know if you, perhaps you remember the meeting that we had uh, on the 29th, right? John Armstrong brought something up during that presentation and that meeting. He talked about the Columbine event. You remember that, right? 20 years later, what's happened? Not much. <laughs> We're in the same boat, right? We're still seeing the same events. We're still seeing the same situations. Folks who have mental conditions or mental issues and they don't have a way to heal. And guess what? They lash out to society. Nothing is being done. Although there has been a lot of talk. So, and we don't seem to have a solution in sight. So how can we be made whole from this internal leprosy that is perpetuated with similar events happening over and over and over? So this is what Jesus does. He answers the cry with a command. Notice that there was no prescription, plan, steps to follow. <laughs> it was simply a command. Go and show yourselves to the priest. And that command was encapsulated the solution. But the solution was to be taken for granted. Because you wouldn't approach the priest without being healed. Right? right? You wouldn't dare go and say to the priest, check me out, if you were still in the condition of being unclean. So what it took from these fellows was a leap of faith. We know that term, right? It took a leap of faith to get out of their mentality, to get out of their own self-understanding, to get out of what they thought was right in their situation and obey God. That's a move of faith. 
You agree? Yes. They're to make, be made clean and they move. They move before the miracle happens. They have faith. Now, what would you think that people would do if they're told the same thing today? What would you do? What would you do if you found yourself in a place of loneliness? If you found yourself in a space of emptiness? What would you do? Would you cry out for help? Or would you go and get your boots? So you can strap them up. Right? You know what I mean, right? Right? You're strapping the boots? No? That didn't click? I thought that was a well-known situation here in America, right? We, 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 we can strap our own boots and do our own thing. Right? I don't know how to say that correctly. Forgive my Puerto Ricanness. <laughs> the people cry out to Jesus. Would they cry for mercy? And would they respond to Jesus' words? See, this is, I think, a situation that we must acknowledge. We must acknowledge the fact that as religious solution is not on the table, mostly in our society. Because again, religion is seen as that hocus pocus thing and that's you, you can believe in all that stuff, it's alright for you, but not for me. But the results we see all over the place, right? We see all over the place because there is no hope out there. Our hope is placed in what? Let the, let, the, no, no, let, let the government provide mental health situation for everybody. Right? They should be providing a psychiatrist for everybody that has a need. In Spain, <coughs> Judith and I were visiting some friends of ours. We went to this little village. And in the little village, there was a spring that flowed out of this place. Beautiful water that came out of this place. And it flowed out and they had made a little canal. And then they had this shack that had built in concrete. And in that shack, there were like 20 different stalls where women used to wash their clothes. I say used to wash their clothes because in the modern times now they had washing machines. They don't use that spot anymore. It just serves as a, rem a memoir to the times when they used to come there. Guess what happened in that community? All of a sudden 
psychologist's office started to open up. And this town had more offices for psychologists than anything else. Guess what happened there? I mean, you can, you can derive what, what, what was the deal, right? This is the place where community was made because the women would come and talk. Right? And they would talk about their issues and converse. And that was taken away because this individualistic look of the world, the modern world, drew them back to their homes to do their own thing instead of sharing life with others. So now they needed psychologists all of a sudden. And it's good for the psychologists because they need work too, right? So it's interesting that the miracle happened before the miracle happened. You see what I'm saying? It's interesting to note that the miracle was not in the fact that they were healed, but in the fact that people moved. When Jesus said, go. That to me is the miracle. To me, the miracle is to say, Okay, I'm going to get rid of all this junk that I have put in my mind about how things should be in the world. I'm going to get rid of all this junk that I think is the logical way and I'm going to follow what Jesus says. That's a miracle. And in the following what Jesus says, then we see God's hand at work. Incredible. Incredible. They heard his voice. They actually followed their command. And I truly believe that God is in the business of restoring folks to wholeness today. I think, I truly believe that God is still in that same business. He wants our religious, relational selves to be awakened. He wants community to flourish. And he wants to heal the brokenness that is all around us and in us. And he wants to do it through Christ. Because that's why he sent Jesus, right? So that we could be healed. So all that brokenness that is within us could be taken care of. It's interesting that we hear scripture say, Jesus is the king or the prince of peace. The term in Hebrew, shalom. The prince of wholeness. And it is that believe in Him, placing our trust in Him, that makes that mustard seed do its job. Remember last week? Yes. Right? What did we learn last week about the mustard seed? 
It's not how many mustard seeds you have. Right? It's not how much abundance of faith you have, but the faith that you have in the power of that seed to do what it's supposed to do. Right? It's the faith that you have in that little tiny thing that brings forth creation in our lives. Wholeness. See, that's where the power lies. And that's where our faith should be placed. I should be done. But I think there's one more thing here to look. You see, Luke places this passage in the shadow of the mustard seed event. Right? To me, it's like Luke is trying to tell us <laughs> that it is God who has the power to restore us and has the power to bring us to health. And those disciples that are thinking of their relational selves with the others are saying, God, we need to have more faith. Please increase our faith. Right? Remember what we heard last week? Increase our faith. And Jesus says, well, you dummies, don't you get it? This is not a matter of you. This is not a matter of you having this incredible faith. It's a matter of where your faith is placed. Amen. Amen. See, because this little mustard seed can still bring forth life. It doesn't have to be much. But it relies on the fact that God created it. <laughs> so imagine the world seeing a new reality. Imagine the world being presented with a new norm. Instead of this individualistic sense, being connected in community to our God. Imagine our spirits being revived. Imagine we having the strength and the power and the motivation to live and exist, giving that away to others. Imagine us having that spark. What would happen? What would happen when instead of people seeing all oh, those little Christians, those followers of Christ, all oh, they're in their faith and thinking about their own thing and thinking that they're better than us. Imagine instead of saying that, saying, look, look what is happening there. Look what that individual has. What is that joy? Man, that person just lost their family. And he is joyful. What in the world is that? Imagine the world seeing us being the beneficiaries of the power of God in our lives. Imagine that. 
I don't know, maybe when we have our Thanksgiving dinner this year, people will come through and look at us and say, that's strange. This guy's smiling. <laughs> Why in the world is he smiling? They're working. Why are they so happy? And wondering why that is. Imagine the world being fed not only food, but power from the Spirit of God Amen. to become whole in their own lives, in their own need. Interesting. Last week, the passage ended with this statement. So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. You see, it's not the fact that we need to think of ourselves as much when we're following Christ, when we're doing what God's asked us to do because God is the master of it all. Amen. And we use this term king, right? He is the Lord. So it's not like we're doing the great thing. We're just doing what we ought to be doing. Yes. Amen. That's all. And in that, we can find joy. Amen. We can be okay with it because He has brought life to our lives. Amen. He has given us everything we need. He has freed us from everything that wants to tie us down in this world. He has given us everything that we need. And even in the pain and the difficulty of life, because there is, isn't there? Right? We can still say, oh God, it's all right. Because you've got my back. Amen. Because you've got the power to accomplish way more than what I think. And I'm okay with that. I can trust you with my life. So it's not necessarily that we can feel accomplished if we do this, but that we have the power of God in Christ in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to recognize 